I want to um, want to update you on something that happened recently in the news, which you probably saw. Um, you know, the the presidential elections coming up next year, and especially on the Republican side, there are a lot of candidates that are seeking the nomination, right? And so, uh, one of those candidates is uh, Donald Trump, and many of you know him, and he is. Uh, well known for a number of things, one of those being the, uh, the show The Apprentice on NBC. And he has this famous tagline at the end, at the end of the show he always fires someone. So he's always saying you're fired and he's I guess known for that. Well recently NBC looked at Donald Trump and said you're fired. <laughs> and the reason being is because uh, as you know Donald Trump has thrown his hat into the ring uh, to be considered as the Republican uh, nominee for the presidential office. And uh, he's making a speech, and he made some comments that NBC, his employer, did not like. And so they, they let him go. Uh, now, my, my point this morning is not to, you know, go into the rightness or wrongness of, you know, should NBC have done that or not. But my point is that, you know, Donald Trump did not submit his, his speech to NBC. He didn't think, you know, how can I align myself with NBC so that I can keep my job. And so I'm going to, before I give this speech, go to NBC, let them edit my speech, and then I'll say it the way they want me to say it so we can keep The Apprentice going strong. You know, that, that, he didn't do that. And you all probably would not do that either. You know, because NBC does not necessarily deserve to have, uh, or any employer deserve to have everything you say and do be filtered through their you know, hierarchy of authority, right? However, as a follower of Jesus, uh, God does deserve to have everything we do be brought before Him. And this is Paul's point in Colossians. He's making his argument all throughout Colossians up to this point in chapter 4 that Jesus must be supreme. He's primary. He's the first. He's the one in charge. And so we are to submit everything we say and do to Him. And what He's going to do in chapter 4, as He's moving out of the specific roles and relationships we have, husbands, wives, parents, children, employer, employee, He's going to broaden His application once He reaches uh, Colossians 4, verse 2. And He's going to give some application for all Christians, no matter what role you're in. And he's going to say, you know, if Jesus is supreme in your life, if he's primary, then it's going to affect how you interact with God and it's going to affect how you interact with those around you, specifically those outside the church. And so we see two commands that Paul is going to give in verses 2 through 6. The first command that Paul gives is that we should continue steadfastly in prayer. You know, unlike NBC, God deserves to have our speech, our thoughts, our concerns, our frustrations, whatever we're going through, whatever we're thinking, to be lifted up to Him and brought to His attention and vetted by Him. See, prayer is a privilege of the people of God. It is one of those freedoms we enjoy as the family of God, to go to God in prayer, straight to Him through Christ and Paul tells us that this form of communication, that we, we channel our thoughts and our concerns to Him, that we should continue steadfastly in prayer. 
Continue steadfastly in prayer. Or your translation may say, devote yourself to prayer. And the, the picture here is that you would grab hold of this and you would not let it go. It would be something that you continue in. You know, we just sang this hymn, or the choir sang the hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer. And we should have those times set aside of focused prayer. But what Paul's talking about here is not just a sweet hour of prayer necessarily, but a lifestyle of prayer. It's this continuous dialogue you have with the Lord. An attitude of prayer. And so he says, you should continue in prayer and you should do so steadfastly. Don't, don't let it go. And the second thing he says about this type of prayer, how we interact with God, is that we need to be watchful. We need to be alert in prayer. See, some of us do well in continuing to pray, but perhaps we continue to pray about the same things, which is okay. I mean, we, there are some requests that most likely you've been lifting up to the Lord for years. And that's, that's fine. That's appropriate. Uh, we, are, we are taught to persevere in prayer over certain topics and ideas and concerns. But this idea of being alert and watchful is realizing that there are always things that we should be bringing up to the Lord. New things. And so if you look back over your prayer life this past week, just think about those things you've been praying about. Are they just... Is it like a script? You know, you're just kind of going through the script and just going back through your prayers. You know, I remember as a kid, you know, my mom taught me a simple prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. Which is actually can be a somewhat disturbing prayer for a child. Uh, you know, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake. You know, I'm a kid praying this. And of course I wasn't really thinking through it that much. I was just kind of going through the words. And then you get to that point as a child. I think all children reach this point where they think, okay, I need to pray for every single person I know. Every night. And so God bless such and such, and this, and their dog, and this, and you, you're like, okay, we're never going to bed. Uh, it's going to be late. But you, it continued just to be kind of routine, just kind of, I'm continuing in prayer, but I'm really not paying attention to the world around me, and I'm not being alert. In other words, I'm not lifting up specific needs that I encounter in my own life, or in the life of my family, or my church family, or our country, or our city, or the world. And so there's this idea of praying, being alert, watchful, seeing what, what, what do I need to lift before the Lord and talk to the Lord about. And then lastly, he says, uh, not lastly, but thirdly, in verse 2, he says, we should do this all with a thankful heart. And you know, I love the Psalms, when the psalmist goes before the Lord, and many times he's praising God, but also sometimes he's really complaining. And he's saying, you know, my situation really stinks. I mean, this is really difficult. You know, people are rising up against me. Where are you, God? You know, so prayer is a wonderful opportunity for us to go to the Lord with our praises, our petitions, you know, our complaints, our frustrations. But yet at the same time, if you are in Christ, there should be this thread that is sown through our prayer life of thanksgiving. Because even though you may be going through a difficult situation, as you reflect upon what God has done for you in Christ, there should be some sense of thankfulness. 
You know, yes, this is difficult. Yes, this is hard. Yes, I don't know what to do. But God, I am thankful for what you've done for me in Christ. There should be that attitude of thankfulness. And lastly, Paul says, I want you to pray for us. In verses 3 and 4, he says, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door. Now, let me ask you this. Paul is in prison. What door does he want open? If I was in prison, it would be the prison door. <laughs> that would be my prayer. I want to be delivered from prison. But Paul, his prayer is not primarily that God would open the prison door. But if you read it, what he says is, I pray, I want you to pray for us that God would open us a door for the word. That we may proclaim or declare the mystery of Christ with clarity. And when I look at my prayer life, that is usually not my go-to prayer. My go-to prayer is deliverance. Not, God, in the midst of this difficulty, would you give me opportunity to make Christ known? That's usually not my go-to prayer. Now, maybe eventually I'll get there, but my initial prayer is usually, will you get me out of this mess? You know, would you give me, get me out of this difficulty? But Paul says, this is what I want you to pray for us. Pray that God would open up a door, an opportunity for us to declare the mystery of Christ and that I would do so clearly. And we know from the book of Philippians that he says this prayer was answered because he says, you know, uh, the gospel, because of his imprisonment, the gospel has actually progressed throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and people outside were... were, uh, filled with boldness in sharing the gospel. And so God answered this prayer for this opportunity. But one thing I think we can take note here, and I I know I can, when I pray, it's not just for deliverance. And I think that's okay to pray for deliverance. But perhaps we should also pray for power to be able to proclaim Christ in the midst of our difficulty until we are delivered. But we should pray for one another and for ourselves that, God, would you give me opportunity to make Christ known even in the midst of my difficulty? So he commands us to uh, interact with God in prayer steadfastly, continually, being watchful, doing it with thanksgiving, and also looking for opportunity, praying for opportunity to declare the gospel. And so his first command deals with how we interact with God. His second command deals with how we interact with those, specifically those outside the church. You know, the non-believing world, the non-Christian world. And we all know uh, there are several places in the world that are uh, very secular. And what I mean by secular is that, and our country is becoming more and more secular. And what I mean by that is uh, the laws we make, uh, the way we govern ourselves, Uh, the decisions we make are more and more disconnected from God's Word. And so God's Word, the Scripture, the Bible, is no longer a compass or uh, a guidebook, so to speak, for how we do things. It's becoming more secular. And so there's no uh, foundation other than uh, pragmatism or majority opinion or reason Uh, But it's disconnected from the Scripture. But when you think about the first century, 
you may say, well, Ron, you know, the Roman Empire was very religious, and that is true. But at the same time, their government was in no way connected to the Bible or the God of the Bible. It was very secular in that sense, in that it was disconnected from the Word of God. And yet Paul is giving the Colossians instruction as to how they are to interact with this type of government, this type of culture. And so I think this is very relevant for us today, very timely. And so what he says here, he tells the Christians in Colossae, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And then he's going to unpack how to do that. First of all, he uses that verb, walk. Walk in wisdom. And the idea here is your life. Live your life uh, with integrity. In other words, what you say, let it line up to what, what you do. And so your life, and we all know this to be true, your life lends credibility to your speech. Now, your life does not determine what you say or not say is true or false. Because uh, someone can say something that's true and yet go out and do the very opposite thing, right? I mean, they can break their own uh, command, so to speak, or, or truth statement. They can go against it. But if your life is consistent with what you say and believe, then it's going to lend credibility to what you're saying. And so Paul's saying you need to walk with wisdom toward outsiders. Pay attention to how you live. And you need to do so wisely. And I love this quote by John Piper. He defines wisdom. And I love the way he defines it. He says, he says, Wisdom is knowing what to do for the glory of God when the rule book runs out. Knowing what to do for the glory of God when the rule book runs out. So Paul's saying, walk with wisdom toward outsiders. Think about how your life reflects the glory of God, the goodness of God to those around you and do it with wisdom. And then secondly, Paul says, you walk in wisdom toward outsiders when you make the best use of the time. Now some of you may have the King James Version. I love the way the King James Version translates this. He says, um, redeem the time. Make the most of the time. Redeeming the time. And there's two words I want to highlight here in that phrase. The first one is this verb, make the most of or redeem. And it's a, it's a term that's used in the marketplace to buy up. So for example, let's say you go to one of your favorite clothing stores. Let's just say uh, belts. Assuming that you shop there. You go to belts. Now, you notice there's a shirt in belts that you've been eyeing that you really like, but it's $50. And you're like, you know, that's a little steep for a shirt, so I'm going to hold off on it. And then you go to belts the next, the next week, and you realize that there's a sale going on. And this shirt that was $50 is now $5. So what are you going to do? You're going to buy the shirt, right? In other words, you're going to make the most of the opportunity. You're going to buy it up. And that's what this verb means. Buy it up. <clears throat> you know, it's just too good to, to miss out on. But we all know the sale only lasts so long. And this is that second word, the idea of time. 
And the idea of time here that Paul's referring to is not just 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, but it's a season. It's an open door. It's a window of opportunity. So like when you go to Belts, they say, well, the sale's going on today from Monday, you know, from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. You have a window of opportunity. That's what Paul's talking about. You have an opportunity to make the most of the sale that's going on. And so what he's saying is, as you live your faith with those outside the church, you need to pay attention to opportunities that come along. There will be opportunities that come your way that provide avenues for you to share Christ with people, point them to Christ, dialogue about the truth of God. And what he's saying is you need to make the most of those opportunities. You need to redeem the time. You need to be watchful for those opportunities and just make the most of it. See how far you can go with it. How far that opportunity may take you. And so we're to, we're to walk with wisdom toward outsiders. We're to make the most of our time. And then Paul goes on to say that the way we walk with wisdom toward outsiders and make the most of the opportunity is through our speech. Through our speech. <clears throat> you know, speech is very powerful. That's why James tells us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, uh, because speech is a very powerful thing. And so Paul gives us some pointers here on how to use our speech. He says in verse 6, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to respond or answer to each person. So implied in this verse is the idea that you want to speak truth. Right? I mean, that's what's implied. That you're, gonna, you're going to speak tr- the truth of God. That's implied. And so Paul's saying, here's how you do that with those outside the church. Those who don't know Christ. He gives three ways to do it wisely. First of all, he says, your speech should be gracious. Which has the meaning of pleasantness or winsomeness. And so when you speak the truth of God to others, you should be doing so for their good. You should have that in your mind. Their good in mind. And you should want to do it as pleasantly as, and as winsomely as you can. It should be gracious. So your speech should be laced with love and not with condemnation. Second, Paul says that your speech should be seasoned with salt, which literally means uh, it should be palatable when it is served up. I don't know your favorite steakhouse here in Augusta. Uh, Personally, I like uh, California Dreamin', marinated sirloin. It's good. Outback Steakhouse is a good place. And there are several others. But can you imagine going to a steakhouse, ordering a steak... And they bring it out, and there's actually, there's just no seasoning whatsoever on it. Like if I ordered the marinated sirloin at California Dreaming, and they brought it out plain. And they would say, you know, well, you ordered a steak, here's your steak. It has all the nutrients of a steak. You know, it's the protein your body needs, just eat it. You know, how many of you would would order a tasteful steak, a steak that's just going to be seasoned well, they bring it to you, it's plain, and they kept doing that. How many of you are going to go back to that steakhouse? No one. 
And so what Paul's saying is your speech should be seasoned with salt. In other words, you need to think about how you're serving up truth. You need to, you need to serve up the truth. Don't get me wrong. You don't need to change the truth. You need to serve it up. But you need to serve it up graciously and you need to serve it up seasoned, flavorful. Make it as palatable as you can. Because here's the issue. People come at different... To, they come to different ideas, situations. They're coming from different... He's talking about people outside the church now. They're coming from a different base, a different understanding of reality, a different idea of what truth is. And you've got to think about how you're serving up the truth. So that people can understand who God is and they can digest it as easily as possible. Not that you need to minimize it, change it, but we need to think about how we serve it up. And so I want you to think about this. You know, how, how do you serve up truth? You know, is, there, is there a harshness on the plate? Or is it, or is it seasoned? You know, every time something happens in the world that goes against God's Word there's a tendency among some of us to want to just speak truth. Get it out there. And so I don't know how many of you are on Facebook or Twitter or online or blogging or whatever it may be, but there's a desire that you just want to just put it out there, you know, get the truth out there. And you make these statements, but I try, just personally, I try to refrain from doing that as much as possible because I... I realize when I put it out there, I'm I'm talking to an audience that's made up of Christians and non-Christians. And I have to ask myself, if I put this out there the way I'm thinking about putting it out there, is it gracious? Is it seasoned? For example, I had a news agency contact me this past week and ask me that they're doing a story and they want to uh, ask how you would respond to the same-sex marriage issue. I said, you know, I'm not interested in being a part of that story. It's not that I don't have a position on that. I do. But I recognize that, you know, this isn't the way I want to dialogue about God's truth. It's through an article or a story where someone's going to take my content and edit it and then publicize it. That's not how I'm going to be able to really interact with the issue and the people. And so we have to be thoughtful. How do we present God's truth to the non-believing world? Well, we need to do it graciously. We need to do it uh, in a seasoned way where it's as flavorful, flavorful as possible. Because it is the gospel, right? Which means good news. It's not just news. It's good news. And so we want to... Think about how we're presenting this this good news to those around us. The third piece of instruction Paul gives us regarding how we speak the truth to those outside the church is found at the end of verse 6. It says, so that you may know how you ought to respond or answer each person. And I love this because it's so true that people are just coming from different places, different backgrounds, Different questions. You know, it's not a one size fits all. One conversation just does not fit all. 
And so I love the fact that Paul says, you know, you need to pay attention to the person that you're dealing with, you're talking with. Not just the general public, but those you're interacting with at, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family. Those people, those individuals, you need to be thinking about each person and how you ought to respond and answer each of those people. Everyone's not asking the same questions. Everyone doesn't think the same thing about Christianity. And so being thoughtful about where someone is is going to help you speak the truth in love and be gracious and seasoned as you serve it up. And so as we interact with those outside the church, we ought to live lives of integrity, which, which gives us credibility. We know we're not going to be perfect, but we want to be as consistent as we can. And where we're not consistent, we want to ask forgiveness uh, and, and seek to move forward more consistently. That gives credibility to the message. And then as we speak truth, we want to do it graciously and season it to each person we're speaking to. And I, I just encourage you in closing to look to Christ as your example. I mean, look to Jesus, the Son of God who came to us, took on flesh, dwelt among us, died for us, was raised from the dead for us so that we can come to Him. He came to us so that we can come to Him. And I think He's a great example of how we are to seek to extend God's mission to the world. We are to go to them, taking God's truth graciously, seasoned with salt, thinking through how we should respond to each person, each situation, uh, so that the mystery of Christ, the gospel, is proclaimed and more people can come to know Him. And it's because of this gospel, the fact that Jesus, He came for us, He died for us, He was raised for us, so that we can be brought into a personal relationship with God. That is why we should be motivated to interact with God in prayer. Continually, steadfastly, alert, with thanksgiving. And that should also motivate us to interact with the world. Taking the truth of God to the world. And so as we move into this week, let us continue in prayer that God may open up to us a door. He may give you an opportunity to speak God's truth. And may you take that opportunity and think about how can I graciously proclaim God's truth, season it with salt, so that people can hear it and digest it and come to know Christ. And so may God be glorified in our lives and with our lips. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word and how timely it is. Just a reminder to us that we are not to retreat from the world, but that we are to interact with the world, with Your truth. But we're to do so in a way that represents Christ represents your grace clearly showing that this news is good news and Lord may we be motivated by that as we reflect on uh, what Christ has done for us how he came to us may we go to them and may we also be motivated because of your love for us and Christ's sacrifice for us and this relationship that he has made possible for us may we be motivated to Continue with an attitude of prayer. Keeping watch, being alert, being steadfast, not letting it go. 
but may we dialogue with you daily, continually bringing our questions, concerns, our praises, praying for those around us, and praying for opportunities uh, to make you known. And that is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.